The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, everybody? Hello and welcome to another episode of the EPA, that is Eagles Players Analysis Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Half, and I am flying solo today in the host chair, so uh, we'll see how this goes. It's the first solo podcast that I've done for BGN, but I wanted to get in here and talk with you guys about the Eagles matchup with the Saints, uh, looking forward to the Giants game with a chance once again to clinch the bye in Week 18. Uh, But before we get into all of that, I wanted to take just a moment and talk about what happened on Monday Night Football the DeMar Hamlin injury. I'm sure a lot of you guys were watching the game. Uh, I know I was watching and I've never seen anything like that happen before. I know there's been serious injuries in NFL games that I've seen. I know there's been an event or two like this in other sports, but not, not in anything that I've ever been watching. And um, I don't know if you guys listen to Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey's podcast, new heights, but they did a video and they talked about how, they play football to get away from real life. And I know a lot of people, myself included, we watch football to get away from real life. And so when real life, when a really serious issue crosses over into one of your hobbies, it's hard to know how to process that and respond to that. The Bills put out a tweet this morning that I'm sharing here on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, you can go find it on my timeline if you're just listening. But it said, per the physicians caring for Damar Hamlin at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, DeMar has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated that he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal, and he is making steady progress. We're grateful for the love and support that we've received. And so that's obviously great news. It's you know one of the best possible outcomes that people could have hoped for, that people have been praying for since that injury happened. And you know, the, there were reports coming out during the game that the NFL said they were going to put players back on the field, take five, warm up, let's get the game going. Later, that was refuted. I, I don't know what's true. I don't I don't know what happened there. Uh, and I don't really want to speculate about it or focus on any of the negatives um, of what people have said online or what may or may not have happened. What I do want to focus on is some of the positives. And that's seeing two coaches, Zach Taylor, um, and Sean McDermott have a good pulse on the situation and put a very serious thing ahead of football and make sure that their guys were taken care of. 
the NFL has caught a lot of flack for what may or may not have happened, but I want to point out that one thing that was executed to perfection was their action plan for a situation like that. At every NFL game, there's an ambulance on the sideline. There's an AED on site. There's a doctor there who specializes in airway management and they're near a level one trauma center. Every stadium has the level one trauma center designated nearby. And they rehearse that plan every year in the off season. And every single game an hour before kickoff medical staffs from both teams and an independent staff from the trauma center meet together before kickoff to review procedures. And that plan worked flawlessly within moments of the collapse. Medical personnel were on the field administering CPR, the AED within 15 minutes, he was in a hospital headed to that trauma center. And without that quick action, it would have been a lot worse outcome. And so the NFL has rightly taken a black eye this year for the concussion protocol issues with Tua and various player safety issues, but this is one where they got it right. And their prior planning prevented a really uh, much worse situation from transpiring. And so I think that's important to remember and important to think about. It's also just been incredible to see the football community rally together from players. uh, You know, I already talked about the coaches taking care of their teams first from players reaching out and supporting online to NFL communities, people like you reaching out and donating to DeMar Hamlin's uh, GoFundMe that funds his charity. As of this morning, Thursday morning, it had raised over $7 million since he collapsed on Monday night. And so uh, I've just, it's been encouraging to see obviously progress on that front. It's also been encouraging just to see the community uh, of NFL players of NFL fans come together over a larger than life issue. And so I would be remiss if I hadn't missed, if I hadn't mentioned that obviously thoughts and prayers continue to go out for DeMar Hamlin and his family and the medical personnel that's dealing with him to, to his teammates and to T Higgins, who I know reports have come out. He's had a rough time with being the person that was involved in that hit as well. So just something to keep in your thoughts and prayers as we move forward into the week 18 NFL season. It feels weird to transition to talking about actual football action after that, but we are a football podcast. This is, we are going to get into the Eagles saints game. We'll kind of review what went wrong in this game for the Eagles, both on offense and defense. And we'll get into some big picture things and and a brief preview of what's coming up in week 18 against the giants. So let's kick it off with the Eagles for the second week in a row. They failed to clinch the one seed a week after losing 40 to 34 at Dallas. They lost 20 to 10 to the saints at home Lincoln financial field in front of a ferociously booing home crowd. And this game just didn't start well uh, from the nine minute scoring drive to start the game for the saints Uh, four consecutive three and outs for the offense. It it was just a a brutal performance. And it's just so strange to see that flip from a week ago at Dallas. The Eagles could not run the ball, but the offense worked and the defense didn't. And then this week they could run the ball. They chose not to. And the offense was awful while I thought the defense played quite well. So let's lead it off here with the defense. What changed after the first drive for the defense? Uh, Somebody asked me that on Twitter and the biggest thing I can think of the way the Eagles play defense, they want you to be forced to execute long methodical drives, constantly converting third downs, 
staying ahead of the chains. They're confident that you're not going to be able to do that because one, it's hard to convert third downs consistently. And two, because the pass rush is so good at setting teams behind the sticks. Well, in the Saints opening drive, they were four or four on third downs and there were no sacks. After that, they were three of 12 on third downs and they took seven sacks. And so there's certainly a luck element in that as well. Uh, There's an element of you get the best that a team has in their opening script for the game, their most well-thought-out, well-planned drive. Regardless, it's a bad way to start a football game. And it's compounded when your offense comes out and goes three and out. Your defense is reeling. They've been on the field for nine minutes. You need some time to process, to figure out what the opponent was doing, and to adjust, and then to go three and out and put your defense right back out there. The defense was put in a really tough spot after that. And I thought they did pretty well. They only allowed... After that first drive, they only allowed six points. Obviously, there was a pick six at the end, but they allowed six points and 23 yards per drive after that opening drive. And so I thought the defense played pretty well. The biggest takeaway for me that is long-term from this game is that the Eagles' defense has a Kazir White problem. Uh, Over the last two weeks, he's been targeted 10 times. He's allowed eight receptions for 109 yards and a 112 passer rating. He hasn't played like that all year. In the five games prior, he'd only allowed 114 yards. And his play has tailed off a little bit, maybe not reflected in the yardage before that, but he's certainly playing at a worse level than he has been. And it makes you wish that the Eagles had put N'Kobe Dean on the field a little bit more earlier in the year. I, I think it's too late now. He's only played 34 snaps all season, most of that in garbage time of one game. Um, he's a third round rookie and I know he's very smart, but so much of the Eagles defense is based around communication and knowing what your teammate is going to do when he's going to pass a route off. And if you insert a new guy into that, and now all of a sudden we're guessing what he's going to do, you can have a problem. And so I, I do think it's too late to make a move to N'Kobe Dean, but I do wish that he had gotten some more time. And I think Kazir White's issues have also been magnified by Avante Maddox being out, which might not make sense because Avante Maddox is a slot corner. How does that relate? But so much of the coverage is it, it's just all tied together. And now Maddox is out. And so you've got to be a little more concerned about the slot. And so now Kazir White's a little more exposed across the field. And it, it's just a compounding problem. Hopefully it helps when Chauncey Gardner Johnson comes back. His 21 day practice window was activated, as was Robert Quinn's, which is a big deal, uh, especially with the Josh Sweat injury that. I didn't even touch on, but another very scary situation in the first quarter of the game when Josh Sweat went down and was taken off on the cart. Uh, He was later released from the hospital that evening, and Nick Sirianni said he's day-to-day, and he's already badgering Nick to get back on the field. So we'll see what happens there. But Robert Quinn coming back, um, although he did not play well, it is important if Josh Sweat were to miss time just in terms of depth because the Eagles are getting pretty thin there. But I I put out on Twitter the issues that Kazir White has been having in coverage, and a lot of people wanted to point the finger at the defense and say he's on slot receivers, nobody's going to win that, and he's just being put in bad positions. And that's not really true. That's not how a quarter-style defense like the Eagles run works. Um, in, In the last two weeks of those eight receptions, only two of them have been against slot receivers. It's largely tight ends and it's running backs that he's just not covering, and even those those slot receiver reps, a lot of times it's him not carrying a, a target vertical far enough to hand it off to a safety. And so there were instances in this game that I thought he did not carry deep enough. And 
Marcus Epps was probably a little late to dive down as well. Uh, there's just some exchange problems there in the intermediate middle area of the field. And it's been a problem for the Eagles defense uh, throughout the season. People have really liked to complain about the Eagles playing too much soft zone. And that's just not, it's not an accurate understanding of what the Eagles do on defense. Like, first of all, per Sports Info Solutions, the Eagles rank 22nd in zone rate this season. So 21 teams are calling zone more often than the Eagles are. And that includes the pattern matching zones, which is what the majority of the Eagles zones are. Most of the Eagles zones, they play out like man coverage. Uh, it's you're responsible for this receiver if he goes vertical. And then if not, you drop into a zone. It, it's sort of things like that. It, it would be similar. We've all seen the zone man splits from the Cowboys game with Dak 24 or 24 against zone or whatever. Well, it'd be similar to calling cover one man where everyone's in man coverage and you've got a safety deep in a zone to calling that zone. It's just not the clear distinction that people think it is. And so uh, most of their coverages, they pattern match and, and their EPA per drop back in zone. It's far better than it is in man. And so it's just the style of defense the Eagles run, but they're having exchange problems in the middle of the defense. And a lot of that problem comes from Chauncey Gardner-Johnson being out, that's the safety, one of the safeties you're handing those vertical patterns off to, and it's Avante Maddox being out. And so you've got to be a little more concerned about that side of the field. And so I don't think there's a remedy. I don't think help is coming in the form of Nicobe Dean. I, I would like to see him try to do things a little more creative with Kazir White. Uh, if you have a guy struggling in coverage and you know he's in coverage in this spot and you can go beat him, Maybe you put him on the line mugging some A-gaps and you you rush him sometimes or you bail him into a different zone than expected and you just try to confuse things. I would like to see a little bit more of that if he continues to struggle, but the idea of the Eagles should just straight up play man coverage, that doesn't make sense to me, especially as well as they've done communicating in, in their zone exchanges throughout the season. Because you think about it, if you're a quarterback and you see Kazir White Let's say you're the 49ers. You see Kazir White on George Kittle. Man, I'm going to take that matchup all day, every day in man coverage. But now all of a sudden, like I just know before the snap, if it's man coverage, I'm throwing that because Kittle's going to win. But if it's zone coverage, if it's pattern matching, all of a sudden it's man coverage. Kazir White's on George Kittle. Oh, wait, now he's not. Now a safety is. And you have to read those things out after the snap. So that pattern matching, it complicates things for a quarterback. And so... I know people get frustrated with it sometimes, but the reality is the Eagles defense has been very good. Uh, and I do think the biggest issue aside from injuries right now, which is certainly a big issue, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's coming back. Hopefully Avante Maddox is coming back, although I'm not as sure about that. But hopefully Kazir White can get back in a rhythm playing like he did earlier in the year. Uh, but moving off of the coverage issues, let's talk about the pass rush. The pass rush is just, Fantastic. It's so much fun to watch. This is the fifth consecutive game that the Eagles have notched six or more sacks, which is an NFL record. Going into the finale, they need five sacks to break the 1984 Bears record for season sacks, which is at 71. So five sacks would get them to 72 and break that record. They are the first team in NFL history to have four double-digit sack players, and that comes after Brandon Graham got his 10th and 11th sack of the season. And Brandon Graham has just been phenomenal this year. He he's got his 10th and 11th sack. He's never hit double digits before. And he did it while he set a career high 
or excuse me, he did it while playing a career low number of snaps. It's the lowest snap percentage he's played since 2013, his second year in the league. He's got 44 pressures this year. He's got a 22% win rate in pass rushing per PFF, which is the eighth highest of an edge rusher in the NFL. And he's PFF's sixth highest graded edge rusher with an 89.2 rating. And I just love to see, um, you know, he's a Philly legend. And I love to see him having such a great year. Uh, The Eagles, I think, have been very smart in how they've managed his snaps. And I wouldn't be surprised, especially if Sweat is out, you're going to see Graham start to play more. And he should have plenty left in the tank as the Eagles head into the playoffs. But it's not just Brandon Graham. He had four pressures and two sacks in this game, but so did uh, Hassan Reddick. And Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave each had a sack and three pressures. As for Hassan Reddick, uh, Hassan Reddick is now at – ESPN put out a metric that's created sacks. So even if you're not the person who gets the sack, if you forced him into somebody else, you get credit for the created sack. And in terms of created sacks, he leads the NFL with 18 and a half. And second place is like 15 or 15 and a half. He is third in pass rush win rate among edge rushers. He's the fifth highest graded edge rusher. He's got 63 pressures this season. And he makes $15 million over each of the next two years. That ranks 17th at his position. This was such a good signing by Howie Roseman. This was such a hit. Like first, you know, some of the bad moves that Howie has made in free agency. This one it tops the charts, the 17th highest paid edge rusher. And he's at that rate for the next two years. And he's just played so well this season. And so you love to see the pass rush tee off. That's another way that you cover up a lot of issues with the coverage is if you're able to rush the passer and knock them off their spots. I mean, in this game, the saints still completed like 80% of their passes, but they could not move the ball because they were constantly taking sacks They were constantly checking the ball down in second and longs because they didn't want to take another sack. And that's another great way. Your pass rush covers up for bad coverage. Your coverage helps pass rush get home. It's all married together. And another guy that played really well in this game is Josiah Scott. He had an awful game against the Cowboys. Inserted in the middle of the week, in the middle of the game after Avante Maddox injured himself. He was targeted six times in this game and he gave up 29 yards and he had that key pick right before half, which came, uh, it it came in a zone coverage play, a pattern matching where he was responsible to carry that vertical receiver up the field and he carried him up and then he passed him off to the defensive back. And then he gets his eyes on the quarterback and he was able to sink under that route uh, and get the interception. Not sure that's a play that he makes in man coverage. And so that was a great play by Josiah Scott. Kavon Wallace had a nice pass breakup on a third down out of a dime set. And so if you can get some of these guys that, you know, we spoke earlier in the year that Josiah Scott playing for Avante Maddox, it might be relevant because Avante Maddox has been a little injury prone in his career. He's getting more reps. And I don't know how the Eagles will choose to handle Chauncey Gardner-Johnson coming back. I would sort of prefer to put him in the slot and keep Reed Blankenship at safety. But Josiah Scott played well in this game, and it does give them options if he's able to play well. The last note I'll give on the defense before we move on to the offense is that I've seen a sentiment online that the Eagles, after halftime, they played a lot of man coverage, and that's why they were able to lock the Saints up. And they just need to play more man coverage. And uh, that's just not borne out on the All-22 film. Uh, The Eagles only played straight man coverage on about 23% of their snaps against the Saints, which is actually below their season average of 28%. The pass rush was just better. 
they did a better job of passing the routes off and, and, and you see that compound. And so hopefully the Eagles are able to do that, you know, obviously against the giants, which we'll get into. And, and as they get into the playoffs, but let's take a deep breath and let's talk about the offense because the offense was horrendous in this game, right? They got their first, first down with less than a minute left in the first half. I think it was 11 seconds. They were out possessed in this game, 25 minutes and 50 seconds. Think about that. 22 minutes and 50 seconds out of 30 minutes. The Eagles only had the ball for seven minutes and 10 seconds. It was just a travesty of a performance from the offense. And I thought the approach was bad. I thought the execution was really bad. I mean, when, when that much stuff goes wrong in a game, there's so much blame to go around, but you think about the first drive, they come out in the first play of the game. It's a play action pass. And you've got Miles Sanders trying to block a, a linebacker off the edge. And at least it's a linebacker this time because they've asked him to block defensive ends before the strip sack against the Colts comes to mind. The first play of the second half, I don't know why the Eagles are so committed to these shot plays to start games or halves, but the Eagles come out. Miles Sanders blows the protection. He just gets railroaded by the linebacker. He's just not good in pass protection. That's, that's just not something that you can do. And so they do that. Now you're behind the sticks. Second, the second play of the game, Gardner Minshew takes another snap or another sack. And this one's the most egregious. I put out an all 22 piece, uh, on my YouTube channel. You can check that out at Shane half NFL. I clipped it up onto my Twitter timeline to each sack individually, but on this one, the Eagles motion to a four strong four receivers on one side of the field, one receiver on the backside. And when they motion the running back out of the backfield to create a four strong, no one moves with him on the defense. You can go rewatch this play. If you want to, nobody moves with him. And so what that indicates is you are in zone coverage. You're facing a zone coverage. And against a zone coverage, you should immediately go to the strong side of the field because that's where you have the numbers advantage. And it's cover two, and they have uh, a receiver that's condensed that runs a dig route, a deep end route. He's running right at that middle or that half field safety, and he forces him to stay to the middle of the field. And you've got A.J. Brown runs a vertical route down the sideline. He's wide open. His hand is up. Like If you hit that pass – you for sure convert a first down on the second play of the game instead of with 11 seconds left in the half. I don't know that it would have been a touchdown. Safety probably gets an angle over there, but it would have been a big chunk play. Think about how that changes the game. If you get that first down there, if you give your offense some rest, but alas, he doesn't see it. He takes the sack and he took six sacks in this game. Cam Jordan had three sacks, uh, which, by the way, shout out to Cam Jordan. Those three sacks gave him the New Orleans franchise record at 115 and a half sacks. He's been a great player for them for a long time. But I really didn't think Jack Driscoll was that bad. There were reps where he got bullied pretty badly. There were some reps where he played really good, uh, particularly in the running game. But he was also good in pass protection at times. I thought he was more than adequate. If Jay, Go watch the sack video that I put up and just ask yourself, how many of those sacks don't happen if Jalen Hurts is back there? And I kind of think not very many of them do. And so I saw a lot of blame for the offensive line. I thought the offensive line was fine in terms of protection. The penalties were really bad. You can't be having penalties like that. And even Jason Kelsey, I talked about this on the post game show, being six or seven yards downfield blocking on a play action play. You just can't do that. That's shooting yourself in the foot. But in terms of protection, I thought that they were fine. Um, 
I really thought the bigger issues were Gardner Minshew played awful and the Eagles coaching staff put too much faith in him. And I think it was because of how the Cowboys game went. You put up 34 points and seven of that was a pick six. You put up 27 points offensively, but you never punted. There were four turnovers, two fumbles, two interceptions, but you never punted. You moved the ball well. I think the Eagles thought that they were going to be able to move the ball however they wanted to in this game as well, and they were too slow to adjust. In in this game, the Saints played a light box on 70% of the snaps, and the Eagles just didn't run the football. They came out the second drive, and they gave it to Sanders two times for nine yards, and then on a third and one, they took him off the field and ran like a little RPO rollout where they left Cameron Jordan unblocked with a non-mobile quarterback, and you just can't do that. Miles Sanders, I thought, ran well when he was in the game, but he only played 22 snaps. It was the lowest of the year by a wide margin, including games where they pulled the starters. I don't know if it was fear of injury. He was obviously didn't practice early in the week, was limited later in the week before being a full participant Friday with a knee injury. He was wearing a brace. If you were worried about him being injured, Trey Sermon should have been active. And as you watch the game, you have to ask yourself, do you feel better about your backup quarterback moving the ball right now? Or do you feel better about your backup running back doing it behind this offensive line? And I think the answer was would have clearly been the backup running back. And I'm not normally a run the ball guy. Running the ball means you're taking the hands potentially out of A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, these great weapons that the, that the Eagles have. I, I'm a big fan of the Mike Leach quote. He was asking at a press conference one time. Obviously, you know, he was the four or five wide guy, throw the ball all over the yard and he was asked one time about being balanced and he said the quote and I'll butcher it. So I'll just, I won't try to quote him directly, but he basically said that it's stupid to hand the ball to your running back 50% of the plays and then throw it to four receivers, the other 50% of the plays and call that balance. He said offense is all about spreading the field and getting the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And I largely think the Eagles do a great job of that, but I don't even fault thinking you could be pass heavy, but when it became clear Minshew was in over his head in this game and he got happy feet, I would have liked to have seen an adjustment come quicker or, or at all. The Eagles ran the ball a lot that opening drive after half and they sort of got away from it again. I didn't think the Saints defense did anything special. They, they played a lot of man coverage and they played a lot of tight man coverage. Minshew just wasn't willing to trigger tight window throws and you have to throw tight windows sometimes against man, but They only blitzed on six snaps. Uh, They dropped eight on eight snaps, and then they just had a standard four-man rush on the other 24 dropbacks. There wasn't anything fancy going on. It was just a lack of execution by the offense. When they did run, um, I thought one encouraging adjustment they made is they got away from like the inside zone, the zone read runs that didn't really work against Dallas. They started running more power or uh, more counter, more pin-pull stuff, and that worked a lot better at creating those holes. And uh, I think you'll see a shift back to more of the zone sort of things. Once Jalen hurts is back, maybe not against the giants. Cause you probably don't want to run him a lot against the giants, but I really do think that Jalen hurts coming back solves like 90 to 95% of the issues that have been going on in his absence. Um, I don't think, you get A.J. Brown frustrated during the game. Even if Jalen Hurts is having a bad game, Jalen Hurts can pull him aside and say, hey, listen, we're fine. It's going to be okay. And Gardner Minshew just doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have the the capital as a backup quarterback to do that. And so 
I think your protection problem, your protection is better. Uh, you're going to see the field better with Hertz. The run game is obviously going to be better. Getting staying on the field for more than seven minutes in the first half is going to make the defense better. So uh, I'm not concerned. I don't think you guys should be concerned. I do think the Eagles are going to be just fine. They just have to find a way to win this weekend against the New York Giants. And so we're going to throw to a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Giants game that is coming up for the bye, for the one seed, and all the marbles. We'll be right back. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And we are back here on the EPA podcast again, talking about the Eagles Giants game coming up this weekend. It will be for the one seed. If the Eagles win, the struggles of the last two weeks will be forgotten. They'll be the one seed. They'll get a bye. They get a week off to hopefully get people healthy. Hopefully you get Lane Johnson back. Hopefully you get Avante Maddox back and Josh Sweat and all of these guys. But first you have to beat the New York Giants, the New York Giants who clinched the sixth seed last week. They're locked in. Their seeding can't change. And so there's a lot of questions about, are they going to play starters? And Brian Dable has not been clear on that. He hasn't made that distinction yet. And so obviously you prepare as if their starters are going to play. I would, if I was Dable, I I don't think, I, I would play starters, but I wouldn't play them for very long. The routine, the rhythm is so important for, an NFL team. And yeah, you're probably not going to be a Super Bowl team, but Hey, they won a Super Bowl as a wild card team against an undefeated Patriots team before, if they get hot at the right time, this is a team that's playing a lot better right now than they were a month ago when the Eagles blew them out. And so Saquon's playing better. Daniel Jones is playing better. He's limiting mistakes, but I do think, you know, if I was Dave, I'd probably get the starters in for like a quarter, maybe a half and get them out and get ready for the next week. But regardless of what they do, the Eagles have to be ready to play. And it's starting to look like Jalen Hurts is likely to play. Uh, Nick Sirianni said that he was close to playing last week, but didn't make it. And the return of Hurts would obviously be huge for this offense. I posted on Twitter earlier this week, just the Eagles offensive EPA split out by quarterback and their EPA per play. Uh, when Hertz is on the field is 0.179 with Minshew, it is negative 0.102. Their drop back EPA drops from 0.203 to 0.007. Their rushing EPA drops from 0.142 to negative 0.417. You can look that tweet up if you want to see the numbers for yourself, but if you want to know what that means, basically the offense saw a drop off of 157% in EPA per play with Minshew under center. They saw a 62% drop-off in passing EPA 
and a 34% drop off in rushing EPA. And so Hertz back is obviously huge for this team. Um, it's crazy that missing two games might have bolstered his MVP candidacy, but it should have because this offense was a disaster last week and very turnover prone the week before without Jalen Hurts. So uh, for the Eagles offense, uh, as you think about their offense against the Giants defense, the defense bases at a 3-4. And so you're probably going to have some more stacked boxes. Now, if Hurts doesn't play, I would certainly un- I-, I would certainly stack the box and ask Minshew to throw the ball. Uh, but then they run a lot of nickel 245. Um, they have a high first round pick in Kevon Thibodeau, who kind of had a tasteless celebration and some remarks afterwards about Jeff Saturday uh, after sacking and injuring Nick Foles. Regardless of what you think about Thibodeau off the field, he's a very good player on the field that's coming into his own. And so I would imagine that the Giants will try to get Kevon Thibodeau rushing against Jack Driscoll. Uh, and that's something the Eagles are going to have to be ready for, whether that mean. Uh, if Hertz is in, I don't think it's an issue because he's got better pocket management. But if Minshew is in, you might need to leave a, a running back in to help in pass protection there. The Saints were really good at isolating Cam Jordan one-on-one with Jack Driscoll, usually by lining up a linebacker uh, over the right guard to make him pull to the left, uh, slide that direction, and leave Cam Jordan on an island. So the Eagles will have to have a plan for that. The Giants do tend to play light boxes at a very low rate. Like I mentioned, they run a base three, four at a pretty high rate. Uh, They only have a light box on 40% of the snaps, which is one of the lowest rates in the league. Uh, 32% of the time they run a seven man box and 29% of the time they stack the box. And so uh, this is a team that can be harder to run against that they want to make you throw the ball. And a lot of the reason that they stack the box is because they love to blitz. Wink Martindale, and I've mentioned this the last time we previewed the Giants, but he loves to run man coverage and blitz. He runs man coverage on 40% of the snaps, which is the highest in the NFL, and he blitzes at 39%, which is also the highest. He loves to blitz. He loves to run cover one man behind. He's the anti-Jonathan Gannon. Everybody in Philadelphia would love this guy uh, until his defenses got lit up because he doesn't cover behind the blitz sometimes. But they run a one high shell on 57% of the snaps. And again, that's because they're not necessarily trying to hide what they're going to do. It's going to be a middle of field close coverage and they're coming after the quarterback. Now Hertz was getting better against the blitz prior to the injury. But one thing you really don't want to do if, if you put Hertz in this game is get him hit a lot. And so the ability to get the ball out hot, the ability to block up these blitzes is going to be huge. This battle in the trenches is the number one thing I'm watching for the Eagles offense against the Giants defense. Flipping the pay, flipping the script here, the Giants offense against the Eagles defense. Like I mentioned, the Giants have played better. They're playing much better than they were when they played the Eagles last time and got blown out. Daniel Jones is just coming off of a game where He was 19 of 24 passing with two touchdowns, and he also rushed 11 times for 91 yards and two touchdowns. So he's a dual threat. He is sneakily very athletic. He's not the type of runner Jalen Hurts is, but he's a very good athlete until he trips over his feet downfield and costs his team a touchdown. I'm not sure where we've seen that before, but uh, anyways, I don't think he's going to play a lot, but Tyrod Taylor is the backup, and he's a very mobile guy as well. So Uh, You're going to have to have a plan to contain the quarterback in the pocket. Uh, 
again, not that this is out of the norm for the Eagles, but they're going to run a lot of zone coverage in this game and it'll pattern match. They'll get some man looks out of it, but you want eyes on mobile quarterbacks to make sure they're unable to escape. Uh, the Giants are a big time tempo team. They like to go up tempo. They like to run RPOs and they like to run play actions and push the ball downfield. They design rollouts for Daniel Jones on 11% of dropbacks, which is the fifth highest rate in the league. So again, being disciplined up front uh, and, and containing that that's a big deal. So that's something the Eagles are going to have to watch to watch out for. They're also going to have to watch out for tight ends. The, the last two games against the Eagles tight ends have 11 receptions for 154 yards. Um, now the giants don't necessarily have a tight end that you're really scared of, but that is something that they're going to have to adjust as they head into a playoffs that are going to feature George Kittle, Dalton Schultz. There's some good tight ends that are in the league uh, and the Eagles are going to have to figure out how to cover that. So without knowing, you know, there's a lot of unknown in this preview without knowing who the Eagles are going to play at quarterback uh, without knowing who the Giants are going to play at quarterback or most other positions for that matter. It's really hard to get a handle on this game uh, to give you guys some really great in-depth preview stuff. But uh, generally speaking, I would, I would expect the Eagles to win this game. Uh, the Eagles are going to be uh, obviously ready to go out and clinch that one seed. That buy is a big thing going into the playoffs. You're going to see Jalen Hurts hopefully come back and not be rusty and not take hits. I think the Eagles will take care of business. I don't think it's going to be super close because, again, the Giants don't have a ton to play for, and I really don't anticipate them playing starters into the fourth quarter of this game. So I'm going to pick the Eagles to win this game. I'm going to cop out and not give you guys a score uh, just because we don't even know who's going to play. But I'll say the Eagles win. They're going to be the one seed, uh, and that would set you up with a scenario where you your likely matchup – I won't say likely matchup, but – your most likely matchup is probably the Cowboys as the five seed who would knock off the Buccaneers as the four seed. So you could have Eagles Cowboys in the divisional round of the playoffs, which I'm not going to lie. That would be a lot of fun. I think it's two great teams that have not faced each other at full strength this year. So that would be a fun matchup to see, but there's an outside shot that you could get the giants who are going to be the sixth seed and the giants match up with the Vikings who they almost beat a couple of weeks ago. I think they could win that game. Or whoever ends up coming out as the seven seed, whether it be the Seahawks um, or it's slipping my mind who the other team in, in that race is, but could easily beat the Vikings if they make the two seed. So the Eagles will likely, if they win the one seed, they're going to play Dallas uh, or whatever team matches up with the Vikings if they were able to pull the upset. Or maybe it wouldn't be an upset after the last week uh, in Minnesota. That's going to about do it for today's. EPA, that is Eagle Player Analysis Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope you're having a great start to the new year, and I hope that the Eagles will give us a better second performance to this new year than they did the first one. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you follow me on Twitter at half and half underscore TPL. You can check out my YouTube for the all 22 breakdown that I referenced with the sacks at Shane Half NFL on YouTube. Uh, make sure you are subscribed here to Bleeding Green Nation, to BGN Radio, five-star ratings and reviews. If you haven't done that, uh, please go leave us those reviews, and I will see you guys on Sunday night on the post-game show live right after the Eagles secure the one seed and the bye. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Birds! Go Birds!